Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news, playthroughs, and reviews. What's up, Mike? Hey, Peter, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's been a while since we've talked, but I feel like that's going to come to an end here at some point. Theoretically, man. (laughs) It seems like every time we talk lately, we're either designing games together or doing a podcast, but we haven't played games together in a while. I miss you, man. I miss you. Yeah, I miss you too. For for anyone who doesn't know, I'm doing a play again. I used to be a theater guy for uh, the first time in like 12 years. We're actually recording this late at night after I got back from a dress rehearsal because we're opening this weekend. (laughs) So... I'm a little tired, but we're going to get through it. And eventually, yeah, I'll get back to the game night every weekend, Peter, once I have weekends free again. Well, not too long, man, but then I'll have dogs by that point. So that that's a whole nother story for another day. Hooray for dogs. But yeah, today's episode, we're going to be looking at a word deduction cooperative party game called So Clover. And then for our design discussion, we're going to discuss word games and how to make them cooperative and whether they even work cooperatively. Yeah, <laughs> But first, uh, what have you been playing recently, Peter? So I'm going to go through a bunch of stuff that I've been playing with Jerry. See, this is what happens when I don't play with you. I end up playing a bunch of non-cooperative games. So I'm going to quickly give like, I don't know, 10 second impressions for a bunch of games. Some of them do have solo modes. There's one or two I'm going to cover in a little bit more detail. I think one that a lot of people probably haven't heard of yet. So uh, Jerry and I played Century Spice Road. I still think it's meh. I played Azul for the first time, and I actually liked that one. I I thought that was actually pretty good. Also played Splendor, and I don't know, that game gets better and better. I've always liked that one. I don't know why. I just like it more and more every time I played it. Played Jump Drive. Do you know about that one? I've heard of it, but I've never played it. Yeah, so it's Race for the Galaxy Light. So played that one recently, and I I actually quite liked it. We played like three or four games in a row. I mean, they say 20 minutes. Uh, We played it on Board Game Arena. Each game took like five minutes or 10 minutes. So it was really neat, but certainly not as deep as Race for the Galaxy, but enjoyed that one as well. Two more to cover before the one I'm going to get in detail on. One was Keyflower, which I had apparently played years ago. Don't remember playing it. Apparently, I didn't like it then. Loved it this time. One of my favorite (laughs) games I played recently. You're bidding on tiles. You're placing them around. And then you're doing stuff with those tiles. You're like putting your workers that you bid with. You can also like activate tiles with those. You don't just activate the tiles in front of you either. You can activate anybody's tiles. But when you do that, you're giving them the workers that you place on there. So you have to be careful about activating other people's stuff because you're now giving them more bidding power for future rounds. Or in the last round, you know, they'll be scoring. So an older Euro game, but I really like that one. Two more. Uh, One of them is Castles of Burgundy, which is one of my favorites of all time. It does have a solo mode. You know, I haven't done the solo mode on the streaming channel. I need to do that at some point soon. (sighs) It's fine. I think the solo mode's fine. I love the game so much and maybe that's it. You know how you get like, something you really, really like, and then they change it up and it's just not the same. And and that's the way I feel about Castle of the Burgundy solo mode. I think it's fine, but I don't know that I love it, but love it competitively. So that's most of mine. The next one I'm going to cover does have a solo mode. So I'm going to let you cover a couple games and then uh, before I get back to talking again. Okay. So clearly I've been busy. uh, So it's mostly been lighter games and playing with my family. But just to name a few, uh, besides So Clover, I've also been playing Just One from the same company. And I've been playing that at uh, rehearsals a little bit. 
and also had like a few like kind of more casual game nights. And that one's great. And I know it was like one of your top games one year, Peter. I kind of gave it, you crap for it. Oh, it was number one. Yeah. The yep. same year you had Tainted Grills, number one. So which yep. one do you like better now? Uh, yeah, just one. Just because I can actually <laughs> table it, get it on the table. Uh, but yeah, so right. just one. Always very good. I've uh, also uh, not cooperative or solo, but <laughs> my wife uh, bought a copy of uh, Connect Four or not Connect Four, but it's like, you know, Connect Four, even though it's not that uh, brand, I guess. And I've been playing that with both my kids and they, they, they really love it. Like, we'll just throw down a game and play like two or three times in a row. Yeah, that's a, that's always been a fun one. And I mean, just the physicality of it. Like, I mean, it's basically checkers with like a way bigger board. But, like, the physicality of dropping the chips in was always fun. I love that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Another sort of cooperative. I don't know if you'd fully call it cooperative, but I I got to play Fog of Love. I got a review copy of that recently with uh, my wife. And I I don't know if anybody else will like that game, but it's, like, awesome for my wife and I, who are, like, former theater people. (laughs) You know, because it's kind of like acting out a relationship. Not really acting it out, but, like, uh, playing cards and, like, telling little stories and we had a blast with the tutorial. We have not played beyond that yet, but I'm really excited to get to that one more. The one thing I heard about that is it has like situations that put it, it puts you in weird situations sometimes. Like you have to cheat on the person you're with, like that's your goal or whatever. You're not forced into that. You make choices for it. But the thing is, like it says like ten times in the rule book and in the thing, it's like you're not playing yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't pretend So yeah, so we we definitely were fine with that and we're like kind of playing characters and having a fun time like doing what those characters would do. But yes, if somebody got into the mindset that like this is like they're playing it with their significant other, they're not too confident in that relationship, and they totally have the wrong mindset and think like this is my actual relationship and this is determining whether this person cares about me, then yes, I could see it being a total disaster. <laughs> I was always curious to try it, though. It sounded interesting, but that worried me a little bit. I I think I would be fine playing it with somebody who wasn't my spouse. And not that I have, like, a tenuous relationship or anything else. I don't know. Like, just some of the stuff in there, it's like, eh. I I don't know that I'd want to play that with my spouse, but I'm glad that you two liked it. Well, and that's the thing I want to do before I do a review of it. I want to actually play it with someone who is not my spouse and to see, like, how does it work when it's not someone you're already romantically involved with. So, yeah, we'll see. So we can't play together, Mike, because we're clearly romantically involved. I I do love you, buddy. Um, (laughs) And then uh, the last one I haven't actually played yet, but I just got him excited to play it is uh, Stars of Akarios. Uh, They sent a review copy of that one. That's a like spaceship campaign game with uh, Gloomhaven-ish, or at least some Gloomhaven aspects to the combat. I enjoyed it back when I covered it for the preview, gosh, like I think two and a half years ago. So it uh, finally got here, and uh, I want to dive into it deeply so that when Oathsworn gets here, because that's on the boat right now in like another you know month or so, that I have uh, time to fully invest in Oathsworn as well and not have like multiple campaign games with big stories floating around. I mean, Mike, when Oathsworn arrives, every other game is going on the shelf. Let's be yeah, honest. That, 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 that's, that's accurate. Your, your shelf stories, or not shelf stories, your, uh, what's your... Uh... What is it called, Peter? What is it? Let's let's let you dangle in the wind for a second here. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Now uh, I'm showing my true colors. Uh, I mean, the word shelf is in it. Yeah. Shelf life. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I got it. I got it. So your shelf life series. See, now I lost what I was going to say about shelf life. Were you going to say that everything for that month except for Oathsworn will be called? (laughs) Exactly. No, everything for your whole shelf will be bare. You're literally (laughs) just going to have a shelf of Oathsworn. And uh, who knows, maybe just one, because I mean, it was the greatest game of whatever year oh, yeah. that was. I mean, I think I think for real, like, Oathsword is, like, two boxes that are each bigger than the Gloomhaven box, or, like, three boxes that are... It's going to oh, be my eating my... my I'll, I'll just pass it along to you, Peter. You can keep it at your house, and then everything will be fine. 
there's no question I would take that one any day. <laughs> I, I love that one. Now watch. It's going to be the biggest disappointment ever. We're so pumped up for this game that I don't know that any game could live up to the expectations. Well, yes. I mean, that's fair. But I've played it quite a bit. I played the first uh, five scenarios, I think, when I got to review it. And uh, and you've played it at least uh, twice at conventions, right? Or No, just once. I literally uh, played one turn of one scenario. Well, then, yes. I have no idea if you'll like it. I'm pretty confident I will. <laughs> But Peter, what was uh, the solo game you were holding on to? So it's a game called Explorers. Have you heard of this one? Nope. All right. So it is Phil Walker Harding, which I don't even know what games he does, but I know I know I've heard that name many times before. It's a game from Roethlisberger, and it's a flipping right. And I'm notorious for not necessarily liking rolling rights, flipping rights, whatever else. It does have a solo mode because a lot of these rolling rights you can just play solo and try to get a high score. But it's just an interesting game. It's very straightforward and simple, but I've had a great time with my family. The way it works is you flip over a tile and the tile has two different terrain types of the four. So there's like water, desert, grasslands, and mountains, I think they are. So you're going to have two of those four terrain types whenever you flip over a tile and you pick one side to go towards you if you are the active player. So let's say I pick mountains and grasslands is on the other side. So I'm going to place three X's on mountains that are connected to places I've already explored. So X's that are already on my board. Now you have a choice as every other player at the table has the same choice of going grasslands, which is the other terrain shown and putting three there on those grasslands or putting two X's on the mountains. So you have a little bit of a choice of whether to like do things that are good for you or hurt the other players. Honestly, it's a lot of multiplayer solitaire, so you're not really paying that much attention. But it's just got such interesting scoring. You're basically trying to cross out paths to get to temples. You're trying to gather fruits and fish. You're trying to get horses, which help you explore a little further or find maps that help you with that luck mitigation, where if you found a map, Now, later turns, you can mark four spaces and not even on either terrains that are there. You can pick any terrain you want and mark four spaces. And so there's some intermittent scoring. It's only four rounds. And at the end of each round, you're doing some scoring. And then there's some end game scoring as well. But it's all pretty straightforward. It's been a great family game, a real hit for us. Now, the box says 20 minutes and it's mostly simultaneous, but that's just a straight up lie. I mean, at least for families, (laughs) like I have not had a game go that fast yet. My games have been closer to an hour, but we've enjoyed it the whole time and win or lose people just enjoyed marking up the maps. And I mean, again, it's not that complicated. Like I said, you're trying to find maps. Like you see the maps on your board. You just have to mark X's to get to that (laughs) map space on the board. So pretty straightforward, but uh, I don't know. We've had a lot of fun with it and there's some more advanced scoring too. So I'd love to play that as a game group with like some of the more advanced scoring as well, and maybe even play it solo and try out to uh, see how that works with the some of the advanced scoring options. Nice. Well, I looked him up, Phil Walker-Harding. He's actually designed a bunch of stuff. I'd never heard of him before, but uh, at least a couple that I know you like, Peter. He designed Baron Park. Yep, like that one a lot. He designed Gizmos. I think you like that one, right? I think I like that one too, but I don't remember it. If it's Marbles Dropping, I like, like all those Marble Dropping games. He designed Sushi Go. He designed Imhotep, which I've never played. It's one of the Cosmos ones. And uh, he apparently is one of the co-designers of the adventure games that we've been kind of mixed on, like the Dungeon one and the Monochrome Inc. one. Yeah, that's awesome. So he's a little bit all over the place. Yeah, no, definitely some variety in his uh, pedigree. 
I mean, I've literally heard of or played all of those games. I think I might have actually played them all. I don't remember Imhotep, but I'm sure I played it. Like, it's one of those things I tell Jerry, hey, did we play this? He's like, yeah, you played it three times and you loved it. I was like, or whatever. <laughs> like, I, that, that kind of stuff happens all the time with me. Like, I don't necessarily remember names, but if I saw the game, I would definitely either know that I played it or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Sounds like we've both gotten uh, some good family gaming in at, at the minimum, and you a lot of competitive. <laughs> yes, lots of competitive. So hopefully I start playing co-op games again, because we're going to have to become the one-stop competitive cast otherwise. Yeah, well, I got a few more to pass along to you that we can cover soon. Nice. But uh, let's get into our uh, main review for this week that is focusing on So Clover. Oh, you're So Clover. Uh, but before we get to that, I do want to thank some of our Patreon supporters. If you don't know, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash one stop. And uh, you get some really cool bonuses. One of the most popular things recently uh, for the 3 and $5 level, I've been doing uh, bonus videos every uh, month. I've got, uh, I think, about 20 of them up uh, at this point. Last month, I ranked all of the boss battlers I have played, like uh, KDM, Oathsworn, Primal, Aeon Trespass Odyssey, Townsfolk Tussle, like a whole bunch of them. And I also talked about uh, the most disappointing games that I've played this year so far, or covered this year so far. But we also have a lot of uh, top 10 lists up there. I've been doing a series where I rank all the games I've played from a game company, like all the Chip Theory games or all the Fantasy Flight games. So if any of that sounds interesting, or if you want to hear your name called out on the channel, because I'm about to do that, or uh, if you want to support us, we really appreciate it. It helps keep the show running. And uh, yeah, this week, we'd like to thank Matt Miola, Dennis, and John Mazzoli. So Matt Miola, Dennis, and John Mazzoli, thank you so much for your support of the channel. And thanks to all our patrons. And thanks to everyone who supports us in other ways, who talks on our Discord, who subscribes to the YouTube channel, the streaming channel or the non-streaming channel, who uh, has reviewed us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. That helps out a ton to get us some exposure. So really appreciate everyone for all you do to show you appreciate what we're doing. Awesome. Mike, I'm going to do you a solid this week. We've been doing this together for what, five years, five plus years at this point. This week, I'm going to cover both theme and rules. Dude, I am so appreciative because I was I was digging through the lore of So Clover. Like there are wiki pages and YouTube videos just really trying to hash out all these connecting webs of intricacies. And I was I was having trouble making heads or tails of it. So I g- go wild, man. So there's no theme. Yeah, that's the theme. But there's no <laughs> mechanics. It is not a game. <laughs> no, there's definitely mechanics. So the mechanics are very simple. You are dealt a board that looks like a clover. And I suggest anybody, I don't do this often, but this is really hard to explain over an audio medium, I would suggest anybody go look at Board Game Geek or just Google So Clover and find pictures of it. So you're all given these plastic clover boards. And in each of these boards, there are four different pegs in a square shape. And you get these square shaped cards with a hole in the middle of them that you're going to place on top of this board. So th- the way it works is when you put these two cards in, they form two words across the top, across the side, across the bottom, and across the other side. And basically, you are going to write on all four sides of this clover in dry erase marker, you look at the two words and you think of one word that makes you think of those two words. And you're going to do that on all four sides. Then you're going to remove all four cards from your clover, flip them over, shuffle them up, adding at least one other card to it as well. So you're going to have a fifth card. And then you're going to put it out in the middle of the table. And everybody else at the table has now got to guess the exact orientation and four cards that you had in your clover. 
They're going to get two chances. The first chance, they're going to put it all together. If they get it all right, you get one point per card. So it's four cards plus a bonus of two points. If not, then you remove any cards that aren't either in the right orientation or not the right card at all. And then they're going to get one more chance to do it. Then they just get one point per card. No more, two more bonus points. So if they get all four, you still get four points. And that's basically it. So everybody's going to do this simultaneously. Everybody's got their own clover board. They're all going to pick out the cards simultaneously. And then one at a time, you're going to pick each person. Okay, we're going to solve your board now. Then we're going to solve the next person's board. Then next person's board until everybody's got their board done. And then you're done with the game. Did I miss anything crucial? No, it's, you basically taught everyone that's listening the entire game. So good job. And I did it in less than five minutes, which is maybe a pro. Maybe that'll come up on our review. Uh, so for anyone who has not listened to our review format before, we're going to go over the five things that stand out the most to the game for us, uh, positives, negatives, or somewhere in between. And then at the end, we'll give our final thoughts. And then again, we're going to have a little design discussion on word games in general and cooperative word games. So uh, I guess I'll jump in with my number five, Peter, since you just took over everything about that game and its background. My number five is a full-on con, but not one that's like super important. That's why it's number five. And that's the scoring in the game. There are a lot of these games, like sort of these quick, casual-ish, easy-to-teach games, like uh, code names I would put in there. Just one I would put in there. Letter Jam's a little bit more complicated, but I would kind of put that in there too. And... Most of them have like some kind of definitive like track. You know, it's like if you get 11 points, you are a loser. If you get 15 points, you're okay. Like that kind of a thing. And uh, so Clover (laughs) doesn't even put any that much effort because they didn't want to be like bothered to figure out what the point value should be for different player counts. They're like, write down your score. Next time you play with the exact same number of players, if you do better, you did better. Good job. So... (laughs) And like, you know, even the whole thing about like, did you get it on the first try, which you pretty much never do? You get two extra points. I don't know. I, I find the scoring for this one even more meaningless than usual in these kind of games. Like the other ones at least will kind of keep track just because it does honestly help us to have like that little kind of metric to measure against, like whatever little chart the game gives. And yep. so Clover did not do that. So it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's my number five. But I do think the, the scoring is less effective and less interesting than in other games of this type. Yeah, so I called my number five nitpicks because I had I had a couple of them. Number one was scoring. It literally matters not at all. It does not matter. I, I, I find it hilarious that they, you're right, it's just because of the player count thing. They're like, we don't want to have to figure out how to score two player versus whatever. Because it's not like you always play six rounds or anything like that. You literally, everybody at the table does one puzzle and then you're done. So if you have two players, your score is going to be lower no matter what than a three-player game, basically, because three players have three boards to score. Two players are only scoring two boards. So literally, there's there's no way to match one score versus the other. So yes, scoring doesn't matter, not even a little bit in this one. My other thing, which is a little bit of a nitpick as well, is remembering your cards. So there's no real method to like remember which cards you had and which orientation they were in. Now, this is more of a problem in my mind than I've actually seen it in the game. But every time I look at it, I'm like, I don't know that I'm going to remember my cards. And there's no way to like, I mean, I guess you could keep it hidden under the table or you could put a piece of paper over it or whatever else and then look at it real quick before you put it in the middle of the table. But if you have like, I don't know, a six player game and you've taken your cards off right at the beginning and to ex- be expected to remember after you've solved six other boards where your cards were exactly, that seems like an issue to me. Like It seems like there should have been some solution to 
having to remember exactly which cards you had and exactly what orientation, but there's none at all. Like the, the cards aren't numbered or anything else. You can't go, okay, I had one in the upper left, this in the lower right. Like there, there's no way to know. So it's literally totally the honor system. I could just say you scored all four of them, right? First time, every time. And, and there's no way to check at all. Yeah, it's a really great point. Uh, that didn't make my list because uh, it doesn't stick in my mind that much because it's never happened to me. I've never forgotten my cards. But, uh, for example, I played with my nine-year-old, and he absolutely, the first game, when he wasn't like as used to it, he was like, I don't know which cards are mine, Daddy. I was like, ah, well, don't worry about it. <laughs> it has not happened to him again since then. But you're right. It's definitely a worry there, and there's no easy way to deal with it if you're having people who are having trouble remembering. Hey, future Peter here. I actually found a solution to this problem. My family actually came up with it, where we now take pictures on our phone of our boards before we clean it up. So that way, if there's any questions, we could always go back and look and make sure we have everything in the right orientation. So with the power of today's technology, taking a picture with your phone certainly works to help alleviate the memory problem. All right, so my number four is a mix. And that's uh, the randomness in the game. And really, this goes into kind of the uh, the card layout that Peter talked about, where you'll have two random cards next to each other. Sometimes you get things that go together really well, and the clues are easy. And sometimes you get words that <laughs> are <laughs> never have been put together on the face <laughs> yes. of the earth. And that's okay. Like, the reason this is a mix is because that does give the game kind of its charm. And in some ways, it is often more fun to figure out, like, the craziness but I've also had like sort of disappointing rounds where like all four of the combinations were like that and none of the clues were easy. And like, I just kind of watch everybody like struggle forever. Like when it is really hard to figure out what you put, that's when the game can get like a little bit dull. Like if it takes too long to figure out even a single board. So it's again, a minor thing. My, my top three are more important for me in like my enjoyment of the game, but just the fact that like you can get very odd combinations. It's a little bit like code names. But because there's such a strict limitation here, a single word that somehow calls to mind both words, what I've ended up having to do in a lot of games is be like, all right, forget that other word. Here's a really clear clue for this word. Good luck. <laughs> Hopefully things you know make sense later. But unless you're telling people that, there's literally no way to like... Well, exactly. Then they go down weird rabbit holes. I'm like, ah, oh, that was great. And also, um, I mean, this again is part of the fun, but also part of the potential frustration is that you get this fifth card thrown in the mix. And it's like sometimes the fifth card just like perfectly matches like three yes. of the things you wrote. It's like, oh, my God. Yep. So, you know, it's going to be fun for you or it's going to be frustrating. I think that also kind of depends on player counts and AP and how fast people are playing. So, yeah, just something to be aware of the randomness in the game and like how the cards come out. Yeah. So my number four is that the game scales well. It's not going to take a lot of time to talk about this. Makes sense. No matter how many players you have, it's all simultaneous. The more players at the table, I haven't found it frustrating. Now, I guess people could feel left out in like higher player count games because you have five people trying to solve the puzzle at once. So if you do get that alpha gamer or somebody with a very strong personality, you're like, no, that doesn't make sense at all. I have seen some bickering at the table, especially with my two kids, like, one person thought it was this and the other person thought it was something else. And you just have to pick at that point, right? With a three player, you know, four player game, like you got to pick one or the other. Or I guess if it was just the three of us and those two are arguing over it, there's going to be hurt feelings one way or another. So I guess even though this was a full on pro to me, now I'm starting to think of some cons to it. Situations that I've had that it, it did go that way, went south. But I do think it scales well based, you know, no matter what the player count is, because again, everything's simultaneous. And the other thing is difficulty scaling. If you want to make the game a little bit harder, just throw in a second 
card. So now instead of having five cards that they're looking at, you have six cards they're looking at. If your table thinks it's too easy, just add another card or two cards, or you can just use those four cards and not ever add another card. So there's ways to change the difficulty based on the group you're playing with. And I always like that, especially in a game that's so easy and quick like this one. Yeah, I'll talk about some of that later, but again to a pro finally, my number three, the clue writing, sort of this simultaneous uh, part of the game where you all are writing out your things. And yes, I said it was random sometimes and things don't uh, (laughs) work out too well for you, but still I I find the challenge, like in a way the limitation is more fun because I can't write a whole bunch and I have to like try to find that like perfect word and it's, it's tough, but it's quick. Everybody's doing it at the same time. I guess the one caveat I'll say is I have had a few games where like this one person, I, because their board is really hard, it's because they were like a little bit slower to think through the things where like we were just waiting for like three minutes while they finished writing their clues. And that's that's not great. But that, that's only been like maybe one group I've played the game with. Uh, generally, I find the clue writing interesting. It does force you to think in very like abstract ways. Like sometimes I'll write a clue that is the combination of the two words. Sometimes I'll write a clue that like kind of works well with each word. Uh, sometimes, like I already said, I'll write a clue for one word and make everyone hate me. So it's interesting. It's fun. I, I, I like it. It does, again, very much re- remind me of code names where you're sort of trying to find that silver bullet within a single word, within a single mention that encompasses multiple ideas. You know, it's, it's very much like that, but in a very quick, like bite sized format with just writing down four words and you're good to go for the rest of the game. Yeah, I agree with all that. So my number three is exactly your number four, which is it's random sometimes. And sometimes it could be super easy. Sometimes it could be super hard. I do think that there is some good to that. But this is more of a con for me. If the same person keeps getting hard boards, they can feel a little bit dumb, like it's their fault, like they don't understand the game. And it may just be that they've had harder word combinations the whole time. So I know I played with my father-in-law. And we all were enjoying the game. And literally everybody was like, four points, six points, four points, six points. And they got to him and he'd be like two or three. So I do think that randomness can sometimes make, especially if you're playing with non-gamers, make them feel a little bit dumb or isolated or like, oh yeah, that game was fine. Or I don't want to play that again. I think if your first couple experiences that happens to you, I think it could be a con for some people. So for me, the randomness is more of a full on con. But I, I do see where it adds value to the game as well, because you don't want it to be easy every time. Yeah, and, and you're right. I've had that experience, too. I don't think it's ever I've never had somebody hate the game because they'll have like that two point round, but then they'll do better the next round. So it would be a bummer if they just really got messed up by the words multiple times in a row. Well, he only played it twice and literally both times. Ah, he yeah. was the like low person on the totem pole and everybody got more. Now, he didn't say he hated it. But he wasn't like, hey, can we play that game again later? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So my number two is a big pro, and that's the cooperative guessing. So it's not just the guessing. Like, there are a lot of games like this, like party games, word games, deduction games, where you're kind of all talking to each other at the same time, like Paint the Roses. What I like most about the cooperative guessing for So Clover is the tactile aspect of it. Because the players are actually like sitting there putting the cards in different orientations and being like, oh, look, those go together. Oh, wait, if that's there, then this must be there. And I just find within like kind of this milieu of cooperative discussions in deductive games, like people kind of working through possibilities and things, just the fact that you are actually manipulating the cards gives it a more concrete feeling, makes it feel like you're making progress better, makes it easier for everyone to kind of participate because you've got these visual clues to what the actual discussion is at the moment. 
Uh, I will give a caveat like I did for my number three in that you can have, Peter already mentioned this, a little bit of alpha gamer that can definitely creep in if somebody is very forceful with their guesses. I, I've had games where like one person would be the actual, like they would just put the cards in orientation, not really talk to everybody else. And that would, they'd be like, all right, this is our starting point. Sometimes I've been that person. <laughs> <laughs> But that apart, I do think within these cooperative deduction games, I think that that little aspect of manipulating the cards puts this above in that like kind of guessing portion of the game. Yeah, my number two is going to be real quick again, and that's the game is simultaneous, which makes it so there's not much downtime. I mean, that's the biggest thing about it. I think that is why it scales well on player count. Uh, We'll talk about this at the end, but I do think it's better than just one at two and three players. For me, it's a just one replacement at two or three players. And it's because of the simultaneous play, you're all looking at your boards at the same time, writing it down. Yes, there's going to be somebody that's going to be taking longer than other players. And it may be the same person over and over, or you may just have one of those randomly hard boards. And for you, this round, it is taking longer to put stuff down. But the simultaneous nature still makes it so it's not that long ever. And you're all solving at the same time. The only person that's left out at that point is the person whose board it is, but they are literally involved the whole time because they are struggling in their mind not to say anything while they watch you like get it perfectly and then change it just before the end of the game. And if you like that feeling, if you are are the kind of person that doesn't get frustrated by that, but like gets exhilarated by it, then I think you're going to like this one a lot because you're just literally sitting there going, no, you had it. You had it. Stop moving things. And uh, that's the kind of feeling you get. So the simultaneous nature of the game really boosts it for me and it makes it so everybody always feels involved. Yep. That's part of my number one. I kind of threw in a few things here. My number one is that the game is quick. It's accessible and it's simultaneous. Uh, As Peter already showed, you can teach the entire game in like two to five minutes I played it with my nine-year-old. My six-year-old couldn't quite handle this because his reading and writing is not strong enough. But once you can like read words and think, you're basically ready to play the game. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the simultaneous uh, aspect keeps it uh, playing. And it's kind of a harp on the quickness a little bit more. I love Just One as a similar game, but it uh, does need more players, like Peter mentioned, to really like be at its best. Uh, even three can be a little bit rough with that one. And a full game technically is playing a whole bunch of times around the table, Code names, you know, can sometimes be a little bit drawn out with a full game, uh, like especially code names duet with the cooperative stuff. This one, the fact that like just having each person do a board and then figuring out everybody's board, it's very bite sized, but we certainly will usually play it three or four times in a row, but you still feel like you got sort of a full experience in a much quicker time frame. So yeah, I just think this is a, a really great one. It's just like really easy to jump into. And something, I don't know if you ever tried this, Peter, but I played it two player. And what we did is we did full simultaneous. So we each wrote our clues, passed it to the other person, and without talking, put down the cards and what our guess was, passed it back. They told us what was wrong. We passed it. So it was like kind of we were always doing everything at the same time. Oh, man, that would be so fast. Yeah, it's like crazy fast. We were like, oh, round is done in like three minutes. Let's go again. (laughs) And I was even like thinking, I was like, oh, I could do this like three or four players. What if you just solve the person's like board to your right or solve the person's board to your left? Like, I I, obviously I'm not going to do that all the time. I like the cooperative discussion. I already said that. But there is a way to play the game even faster if you want to, which I appreciate. Well, I mean, that would take out a lot of the cons that we're talking about, too, with an alpha gamer or somebody getting their feelings hurt or whatever else. What if in a three player game? And this probably would only work at three players. I mean, two players, too, obviously. You pass the board to your left. They get the first shot at it. And then you pass the board to the left again. And that other person gets, like, the final crack at it. 
so now in a three player game, you're like, you know, passing left then passing left again. And that way everybody's always involved and everybody gets their own say in it. And you get these different mindsets looking at it differently. So that, that might be an interesting way to do it too. But I mean, look, the game doesn't need that. It works fine as is. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we're not trying to say like you must house rule. It was just something that kind of came up. All right, uh, but what's your number one, Peter? So my number one is the card system in general. And one thing we haven't talked about is this is a very component-like game. You have the boards, you have the dry erase markers, and you have the cards. And maybe there's 100 cards, I don't know, 200 cards. But the number of combinations you can get with the cards that are in the game is like seemingly infinite because you have four cards each of them can be placed in any of the four directions so just turning any one of the cards 90 degrees really changes exactly what you're looking at because again there's words written on all four sides of the card so if red is with sandal on one side and then you rotate it 90 degrees now red's with beach or whatever now you're talking about a completely different clues that have to go with it so the combinations this game are infinite a lot of times when you get word games it seems like there's a limited number of plays in the box i feel like even with what you get in the box you have infinite replay and it's just i mean it really is clever it really is how simple the game is and how interesting it is every time you play it like you said it's like you're playing code names four times in a row because you're trying to think of one word to make them think of two words four different times on each of your boards and then you're also trying to figure out what other people are thinking and you get clues sometimes because it's one thing we haven't really discussed but like let's say i i'm I'm pretty sure that if i had read that it goes with sunset or something like that so i i'm pretty sure it goes there now does it go on the the one space where, you know, now this word goes with the word to my left, or is it on the other space where this word goes with the word to your right? So you, you're pretty sure you got the red part right, but now you're trying to figure out what the other word it goes with is. I don't know. It's just the puzzle itself, the puzzliness of it is just very clever. So just the cards in general, the way they work just makes it all come together. And it's really clever. Yep. I fully agree. Uh, yeah, so I'll jump in with my final thoughts. I think this one is great. Uh, the praise I can give it, <laughs> some of the highest praise, is that I borrowed Peter's copy. And I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to own this. My family's enjoyed it. Casual people have enjoyed it. You know, is it a deep gamer's game? No, but it's a good palate cleanser. It's a great, uh, like, throw in at the beginning or end of a game night kind of a game. It's so quick. I will not say that it would replace any of these type of games that I already own. Like, I own The Mind, I own Letter Jam, I own Just One, I own Codenames Duet. Like, those are maybe, I might be missing one, but those are, like, kind of my primary. Oh, and uh, Telestrations. Those are all, like, my, like, hey, I'm going to play a more casual game night. Let's throw these down. Everyone will learn them. They're fun. They're cooperative. Like, let's go. I don't think this is going to make me get rid of any of them, but I think it's going to be an addition to that list. I think it is excellent. There maybe are some frustrations that could crop up. It's not going to work for every group. Not every play is going to be the best play, but it's so fast, so easy to teach, simultaneous, uh, puts your brain through the ringer in fun ways. Yeah, the scoring sucks. (laughs) Yeah, it can be random sometimes, but I've never played it and not had a good time. So none of those are enough to bother me. So high recommend from me. And the bottom line is the price point is right. Like if this was a $50 game or a $60 game, I might have to think about it more. But what is it like? It's like a 20 or $30 game. Like at that price point, what the value it provides and the fun it provides is amazing at that price point. Even the components you get are really good, high quality components. Like the cards are really thick and and they work really well. Like I'm never worried about this game getting destroyed over years. Like I feel like it's an heirloom that you can pass down through generations. So 
Yeah, I'm the same way. We had some mixed points. There are definitely some pros and cons to the game. But I think the most valuable thing for people to know about what you said is that it fits in with all these other games. There's no direct replacement. It's not like a duplicate of a different game. Yes, it's kind of like just one. Yes, it's kind of like code names, but it isn't those games. It provides other value. There's more to it than just that. It's not a direct replacement for it. So for me, it's an easy purchase. My family plays it all the time. We still love just one. But like I said, at lower player counts, just one doesn't really work. Just one doesn't really work with two players. It's okay with three, but it's not great. I'd much rather play just one with four, five, six, seven, whereas this one I think works really well at the lower player counts and scales all the way up to four. I I don't know. I haven't played up to six yet, but it, it certainly scales to four very well. All right. So yeah, big recommend from both of us. Uh, But let's get into our design discussion, uh, word games and cooperative word games in general. The first thing I wanted to bring up is there's so many different ways to use words in these games because Silk Clover is not necessarily about the words. You know, it's not like you're working like with letters and stuff. It's more like the words are the clues you're giving. And then uh, you look at something like Letter Jam, which is very much about like deduction with words and with individual letters. And then like sort of related, but still very different is something like uh, Alliterati that was on crowdfunding recently and we covered, which is very much like a Scrabble type game where you have a whole bunch of letters and you're trying to make a whole bunch of words with them. And it's really kind of like taxing your like word knowledge and brain. So (laughs) I don't know. They all kind of have different things going on. They're all sort of, similar type of games but some are deduction and some aren't so where do you want to start peter well for me there's two different categories does it require spelling or does it not require spelling and or not only just spelling but knowledge of a lot of words scrabble was like the word game i knew growing up and whenever somebody's like do you want to play a word game my answer is always no because i really just don't want to play scrabble but all these new word games, when they said Codenames is a word game, I guess said, I guess it's a word game. I guess it makes sense. You're trying to come up with words that make people think of other words. To me, that's very different than something where you're spelling. But even the spelling ones, when they become cooperative, I don't necessarily mind them as much because there are times where you and Jerry are much better spellers. I mean, you're an English teacher. Jerry's just very well spoken. People have seen me. I, I can't barely read. But at the same time, we played Letter Jam. And I was able to contribute words. And sometimes I was thinking of words that even you guys weren't thinking of. You're like, wow, that was a really good clue. And it made me feel smart, even though I don't consider myself a strong speller or a strong reader, whatever else. So I think adding cooperative to word games actually makes them better for me. So at the beginning, when I kind of posed the question, you know, do they even work as cooperative games? I actually think for me, as a not strong reader, as a not strong speller, that is the best place for them. No, I'll agree with you. I mean, e- even though uh, people might think of me as like excellent with words or at least like I English teacher, like maybe I have some kind of special skills going in. I'm terrible at Scrabble, for example. And actually, I did struggle with literati quite a bit. I just can't think of words off the top of my head from letters very easily. It's not something I'm great at. But you're right, like Letter Jam being the example that's sort of a more positive uh, version of that. I always feel like I can contribute there. And cooperation does just in a general sense, cooperation versus competitive, it lets you make a contribution, even if you are not the best and still feel good about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and sometimes it's like the simplest things, right? So one thing I think is one of my strong points in games and in life in general is breaking things down to its most fundamental thing. And I think sometimes you try to come up with these like super complex words and nobody else at the table can get it. Whereas for me, I always come up with the simplest words and it's like, oh yeah, it's obviously that, right? So I almost think sometimes having a huge vocabulary can be a disadvantage as a player with some of these word games. No, I think that's fair. Now, I, I, I kind of already previewed this, but I'll divide the, these types of games into two different types than you had. Um, instead of it being about spelling or not, for me, it's about deduction or not. Most of the ones we're talking about are in some fashion deduction. Yeah, so what's an example of a non-deductive game? Because I'm trying to think of one. I mean, again, the only one I think of immediately is Illiterati. That's where you're like cooperatively spelling words, but everyone sees the letters. Everyone sees the words they're making. There is no hidden information between the players in that one. Well, I guess that one doesn't stick out in my mind. Honestly, I know we played it. We played it on the stream (laughs) channel, but I I don't remember anything about it except I didn't like it. So maybe I don't (laughs) like non-deductive elements because it was similar to letter jam right where you're trying to spell words and you're trying to do it cooperatively but letter jam was just so much better to me than that that one just frustrated me for whatever reason well frustrated me too the funny thing is my my son was like where's that literati game and i was like whoops i guess i'm pledging that one um (laughs) whereas at first i was like i don't need that game but again I, i don't like scrabble as much as some other competitive word games so yeah, the majority of them do seem to be deductive. You know, I don't know why. Why do they go together so well? Because they're certainly like uh, Paint the Roses that we uh, covered recently. That's certainly not a word-based game. So I wonder why word games and deduction like go together so well. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I really do like deductive games because when you think about it, it surprises me that I like these word games so much. But you think of some of my favorite games that are out there. I mean, just one obviously being a word game and a deductive game, but a lot of the unlock games, you're deducing things or solving puzzles. So maybe that's a little bit different. You look at the mind even, I'm deducing what you're trying to think. I'm trying to like figure out, we're trying to get on the same wavelength just without verbal communication. So I don't know. I guess I like deductive games and I like that puzzling nature to games. And a lot of these word games seem to do it in spades and they stretch you a little bit. You know how they say games help people who are having dementia or Alzheimer's or or to not get dementia or Alzheimer's is you got to keep your mind focused and sharp. I feel like I think a lot more in these word games than I do in most games because I'm trying to be clever, not just for myself, but for everybody else at the table as well. And trying to not only think of something that makes sense to me, but will make sense to everybody else as well. So I really do think these are great for keeping your mind sharp. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just interesting to dig in because with almost all of them being deductive games, it's hard to separate out. I mean, I I like what you said, like kind of challenging your mind, especially I'm thinking of So Clover and Code Names. Even just one, trying to find the right word and digging through your memory. And none of them, none of the three I just named at least, require the most complex word, the most like, obscure, deep in the dictionary word. Well, here's a perfect example. And I don't remember who said this, but the word was ladder. I think this might've been you. And you and somebody else put Jacobs on there as the word. And like, you almost have to read the table, not just think about what word like rung would have worked or climb or whatever else could have worked for ladder. But like the fact that two people at the table came up with the same word Jacobs 
like Jacob's Ladder, was like, you know, you almost have to read the table too. So I, I don't know. That That's the part of the game that I like about just one. And a lot of these games is like, you not only have to know words and vocabulary, but you also have to know the people at the table that you're playing with as well. Yeah, and... I've definitely plopped these games down with people I didn't know that well. And it's a different vibe. It's a different feel. But it, it kind of reminds me of The Mind, which is another like quick cooperative game. Not word-based, not deductive. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where like they're usually quick enough that you can play for two or three games. And then you kind of start to get the feel for the group. And suddenly you can kind of dig into and do things more successfully. See, I don't know. But uh, we're getting way off word games. Words, words are fun. No, 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 but but no, but I think this is what makes these games great because I think if you just did Scrabble over and over again, that we wouldn't be having this discussion because I wouldn't ever play them. I think it's the deductive element that makes them interesting to me. And you're pointing out that one game I didn't like of all these word games was the one that didn't have that deductive element. I mean, if it's just about spelling, if it's just about being the most clever, if it's just about finding the right word, there will be people that love that. There are many people in this world that love Scrabble, but that game won't. I don't think you can reach the same level of audience. It's almost like Trivial Pursuit. There are certain people that are trivia people that are great at trivia, but there are ways to make trivia games that not the best trivia person is going to win every time. I think there are ways to make word games that not the best word person is going to play every time. And I think your audience broadens because there can only be one person that's best at words in the entire world, right? Like, So like skill is much more important in these games where spelling matters and knowing more vocabulary matters. But I think a lot of these modern games, what they're doing better than what we've seen in the past is they're finding ways to make these games accessible to people who aren't the best at that. No, I think that's a great point. And I guess if if we're going to glean any sort of advice to other designers out there from all of this, it's that unless you want to kind of uh, segment your audience quite a bit into people who are very much into like Scrabble and like the challenge of making complex words and stuff. I think making these word games be not about the words necessarily, but more about like fun and quick deduction that uses letters and uses words in a clever way. That's certainly been the most successful for us, at least. So (laughs) for two, two people's opinions, we like that. Yeah. I mean, do what's in your heart, right? Like if you're the kind of person that loves spelling, you there, there is an audience for that game as well. But I do think a deductive element, especially if you're looking at doing it cooperatively, is an important element. Like we've seen that over and over. I think when you take that element out, you're losing something. And so, and and just, I would say, make it approachable for the masses. Don't make it so you have to know how to, you you don't have to have the biggest vocabulary in the world. You don't have to know all the two-letter words that Scrabble requires you to know. Make it approachable for everybody, especially if you're going in the cooperative realm. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Uh, go try So Clover. Or I guess we've mentioned a whole bunch of fun uh, kind of lighter games if you hadn't uh, played some of the other ones. Yeah, I would say. Uh, so what's your top one? Oh, man. I mean, it really is very group dependent because I enjoy them all quite a lot. I'll throw down Codenames Duet, So Clover, Just One, Letter Jam with different people at different times. If I had to pick one as like my overall favorite, it would probably be between these days, Codenames Duet or uh, Letter Jam. Letter Jam has shot up very quickly for me. 
But that also I find is the toughest one to table. I think it's a little bit more complex than the other ones. So it might be my favorite and the one I play the least. So I don't know. How about you, Peter? I think just one's probably at the top for me. Uh, Again, player count's very important. Like, I don't think I'd even want to play it with less than four, but it has the least negative experiences for me. After that, I actually like Letter Jam quite a bit. That's surprising to me because I did not want to play that game originally because it was, again, a game where you're spelling words, but I felt clever every time I played it. So I don't think it's as complex as it appears to be. There's a lot of rules you have to learn, but I don't think any of them are that complex. I, I don't know. For me, I was surprised at how much I like that one. Codenames is always good, but I've had good and bad experiences. I get frustrated with Codenames sometimes, especially with Duet. Like, there's nothing about that game that should be bad, but like, I really find that one difficult, and I don't know why. I've had a hard time winning lately, and so maybe it's just shining a negative light on that for me. So it probably should be nearer to the top, but I've just had some experiences where I played lately, and it's like, how do we ever win this game? <laughs> why don't I win anymore? Like, it should be very easy, but it's not. So maybe that's shining a negative light. That one probably should be higher for me. I mean, it's certainly one of the best of all times. Yeah, I mean, so Clover would be below those, but I am glad I own it. And it still makes the list. So that's probably next on my list after those. Yep, um, and I and I want to own it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to get some sleep, but we'll see you next time with uh, some more game coverage. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I... C A N apostrophe T S P L. <laughs> that took me a second. <laughs>